Grace and mercy and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. God's word for our meditation this morning is our Old Testament lesson from Genesis chapter 3. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you commanded, or have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the word of the Lord. The Renaissance, the Reformation, the American Revolution, World Wars I and II, the Civil Rights Movement, the tearing down of the Berlin Wall, 9-11, these are all pivotal events in the history of our world. Some of the most important events that have shaped the world that we live in. And if you were around for maybe some of those at the end of the list, you remember where you were when those things happened, don't you? I, I remember when I was a kid hearing President Reagan's speech. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. I was sitting in a dentist chair getting my teeth cleaned when the news came to me that those planes flew into the World Trade Center. I was a senior at the University of Wisconsin, celebrating with thousands of others on State Street when the Packers won the Super Bowl in 1997. And then I was a senior at the seminary when they won again in 2011. You know, all of those really important events in history. You know, those kinds of events that Cardinals fans haven't got to experience yet, right? All kidding aside, you go to any list on the internet, you're going to see these major events as changing the world. Yeah, the Packers Super Bowls, for some reason, don't get on there, but... Right? And, and you, again, are you going to remember where you were in those pivotal events? Because they meant so much. And they were so life-changing. You know, there's one really important event that you will not see on any of those lists on the internet. It's an event that happened a long, long time ago. And there were only two people there. And it's an event that changed the world. Not only for them, but for every human being who would come after them. And those two people, if they were here today, they would know exactly where they were when it all went down. They were in a garden. Standing at a tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God had told them not to eat from. 
And from that one event, absolutely everything changed for them and for every human being ever to be born on this planet. And it all started because he made it sound so good. I mean, he comes, he came to them in the same way that, that he comes to you. You know it well. Four words. Did God really say? You know those words all too well, don't you? What, what Satan does with those words is creates doubt in your mind, doesn't he? Did God really say that? I mean, he can't mean that. He can't be serious. I mean, come on. What kind of God who really loves you would put rules on you and tell you you can't do things? Or tell you you should do things? What kind of God is that? Did God really say that? Come on. He is a master. A master at creating doubt. Getting you to think that really it's God who is your enemy. <laughs> And that he's your friend, that he's the one who's looking out for you, that he's got your best interests in mind, not God. And what's the result? There they stand, with a bite of fruit in their mouth. Maybe not even to, able to swallow it, because immediately, immediately they know what they've done. And you know the feelings that come. Don't you? After that disobedience, after that being falling into that temptation of that of Satan, you you know what happens, right? It's it's initially that that guilt. That's what comes first, isn't it? That initial feeling of I've done something wrong, and then the twin of guilt is shame. <laughs> that I know what I've done, and I'm an awful person for it. How could anyone, and especially God, ever love someone and accept someone like me? That's shame. And then the trifecta is completed after guilt and shame come fear. We know that we deserve punishment. We know that for sinning against God, we deserve to be sent away from him forever. Just try to imagine what it was like for Adam and Eve, feeling these new emotions of guilt and shame and fear for the first time. And, and what, where are they then? They're hiding. They go into hiding. And that's where our lesson from Genesis picks up this morning. Listen again to the first, uh, the first verse. They're hiding... And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now normally, hearing the sound of the Lord God in the garden was a wonderful thing for them. This, this is a time that it seems like they got, to, they got to spend time with God. I mean, they, they're in perfect communion, perfect fellowship with God. Because before this, they were perfect. They were holy. I mean, they would have heard the sound of God walking through that garden and been overjoyed. God is coming. We get to spend time with him and fellowship with him, but not today and not ever again. They've made some makeshift clothes for themselves because shame has come upon them. They're hiding, shaking in those bushes because fear has gripped their hearts. 
They know what they deserve. Because they know what they've done. And they're absolutely terrified. And what God does is intriguing. God comes with a question. Even though he knows exactly what has happened, and he knows exactly where they're hiding, verse 9 says, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? It's an intriguing question, and not just because God is omniscient, he's all-knowing, and he knows exactly where they are. It's more than that. And it's a question. It's a question that echoes down through the centuries to you this morning. Where are you? Where are you? Are you hiding? Or at least attempting to hide? In guilt and shame and fear? Uh, Do you look at your life and, and you're just weighed down with guilt You think about so many sins that you have committed. So many people that you have hurt. You look back on your life and it's just a wake of pain that you have caused. Are you hiding behind that guilt? Or maybe you've gone on to the next stage of shame. And you wonder, how could anyone, and especially God, ever love someone so unlovable like me? For all that I've done and said. Or maybe you've even gone past guilt and shame and you're already at the fear. Because you know that the wages of your sin, what you deserve for your sin is death. And not just to physically die, but you deserve an eternal death separated from God forever. Is that fear gripping your heart? That you are going to have to face God someday and answer for what you've done and what you haven't done? Where are you this morning? Are you hiding behind guilt and shame and fear. And maybe your, your, your way to cope with that is to just, you know, try to forget about God. You go through my daily life and just pretend he doesn't exist. Right? You, you don't want to, you, you try to not think about death and judgment. Right? You come here but, and you just go through the motions, but maybe you leave here feeling even more burdened than when you walked in. If you're hiding behind guilt and shame and fear... That's a scary place to be, isn't it? Absolutely frightening. But you know, there's, there's an even more frightening place to be hiding. And even that. Because maybe there's a sin. Or maybe there's a number of sins in your life that you become rather comfortable with. That you're beyond guilt and shame and fear. Those things don't even bother you anymore. And instead, you're hiding behind complacency. Sins that you have in your life that don't even bother you anymore. Maybe it's the way you treat your kids or your spouse harshly. Or lying. Or gossiping. Or living in a sinful situation. It just doesn't matter to you anymore. No big deals. This is my life. Or maybe it's an addiction to pornography or to a substance or even to work 
And you have just handed the reins over to those things and said, you're in control now. Whatever it is. Right? If you're hiding behind complacency and you've just become okay with sins in your life, when, when you even clearly know what God says in his word, that is an absolutely terrifying place to be, friends. Writer of the Hebrews says, when we have the knowledge, when we know it's a sin, and we know who God is, and there's no sacrifice for sins left if we're, we're not sorry and we're not repentant of those sins. If they've just become part of our life and part of who we are, maybe we need to remember who we have to answer to. Because when God says, not, don't lie, he means it. And not just some of the time, but all the time. To tell the truth 100% of the time. When God says, don't lust, he doesn't mean, just mean that when, when other people aren't around. He means it all the time. When God says, don't let your sin be your master, he's serious about that. Do you grasp that? Or have you just kind of become ho-hum about sin? That guilt and that shame and that fear is something that is long gone. If that's the case, remember who you are someday going to have to stand before. Adam and Eve certainly did, didn't they? Where are they? They're hiding. Doing everything they can to, to not have to face God. They know what they're going to have to face. They know who he is. This, is. this is the God who just maybe days or weeks or months before created everything out of absolutely nothing. Time, energy, space, matter, light, and absolutely everything else. He's the one who gave them life and gave them every blessing of this life. He's a God of love. They've ex experienced that, but they also know he's a God of justice. A God who demands an accounting for sin. And they're going to have to face that now. They know that the wages of sin is death. They know that because of the aid of that tree, they deserve to die. And there they are, shaking, terrified, their hearts beating rapidly, wondering what's going to happen. Where are you? Are you hiding behind guilt and shame and fear? Are you hiding behind complacency and thinking your sins really aren't that big of a deal and don't matter to God and whatever. Wherever you are this morning, God is calling you out. Behind these things you're hiding behind. God is calling you out to stand right next to Adam and Eve because he's got something to say to you. He asks where are you? And this is the interaction that happens. Adam answers, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. 
This question, where are you, is an intriguing one. Because it shows God's holiness. And it shows his justice. It shows that he just does not let sin slide. He can't or he wouldn't be holy and just. There is an accounting that is demanded. He's calling out Adam and Eve to confess what they've done. But at the same time, this question, where are you? is one that is just absolutely full of mercy. God does not come into that garden that afternoon in this tornado of fire, destroying everything in his path, waiting to absolutely just annihilate Adam and Eve. No. How does he come? Walking. Like he did every day. And he doesn't come and point a finger in their face and tell them what they did wrong. What does he do? He asks questions. Questions, of course, he knows the answer to, but the whole purpose is to draw them out in his mercy so that they can confess what they've done. He asks a series of questions to get them to that point of confessing their sins. Even through all the excuses that they give, God still shows his mercy. And you caught him, right? Who does Adam blame? The woman. And you, God, you put her here with me. And Eve, Satan deceived me, right? But both of them, both of them in the end, have to confess they ate. There's, there's nothing to hide behind anymore, right? And maybe you, maybe, maybe it's not guilt or shame or fear or complacency you're hiding behind. Maybe it's excuses. Maybe you love to blame other people for what you do and what you say and even what you think. Right? But when you stand before God someday, when you stand before that judgment seat, either on, the death, on your death day or the last day, blaming your spouse, or blaming your kids, or blaming your enemies, or, or blaming your boss, or, or blaming even God isn't going to get you anywhere. In the end, you are going to stand there and have to say, along with Adam and Eve, I ate. I lied. I cheated. I lusted. I doubted. I disobeyed. God, in his mercy, calls them out instead of just destroying them on the spot, which is probably what they thought was going to happen. And he calls them out to confess their sins, so that he can show them how much he really loves them. Because listen to what happens next. Here they are standing there with God. They've just confessed their sin. They ate of that tree that God told them not to. They deserve to die. They're, they're shaking. They're terrified. And it says that the Lord God said to the serpent. God turns his attention away from Adam and Eve for just a moment and he turns to the serpent. And he says, because you have done this, and maybe this is where Adam and Eve are going, oh, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. Maybe this is where Adam is going, wait, what? He turns to Eve and says, is he talking to us? And God goes on, he says, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And maybe Adam turns to Eve, a little sidebar, and says, 
He's not talking to us. He's talking to Satan. And then he goes on. And, and where now? God should say, go to hell. He should say, out of my presence forever, Adam and Eve. You don't deserve anything from me anymore. You're my enemies now. He does talk about an enemy, but not them. He says, I will put enmity, related to our word enemy, he's talking to Satan, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. What God is saying to Satan, and in the presence of Adam and Eve here, so they can clearly hear, overhear it and understand it, is Satan, no longer are you going to be able to come to my people as a friend. Because we all know you don't have their best interests in mind. You are their enemy, and they are going to know that from now on. There's going to be enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. No more of this. But then he adds, but there's going to be one who comes. One who comes to crush your head, Satan. Oh, you're, you're going to strike his heel. You are going to cause him pain and suffering, and it's going to have to go all the way to him dying, but your head will be crushed. You will be defeated. You, you know how at the beginning I, I mentioned these pivotal events in history that, that change everything? There's another one that will never make any one of those internet lists. And it's the weekend that God himself reverses the curse of what happened here in this garden. And it happened at a tree. A different tree. A tree that didn't have fruit on it. But in a tree that was covered with blood. With innocent blood. The blood of God's own son. Blood shed for you. For the forgiveness of your sins. That weekend, when God himself took that punishment upon himself so that God can show you mercy, it's there at that cross, at that tree of the cross, that you see justice. You see holiness. You see God saying, I don't let sin slide. It must be paid for with death. But that death was placed on another. It was placed on your Savior and your substitute. And there at that cross, along with justice, you see mercy. Because all we do is stand and watch. As that punishment is placed on him. And God does not treat us as our sins deserve, but instead treated his son like we deserve to be treated. To be cast out. To be cast into hell to suffer. But Jesus took that for us. You see that weekend? The most pivotal event in the history of the world ever is the reason why guilt is taken away. It's all nailed to the cross. Your shame? Hmm. If you want proof that God loves you, look there. Look, look at the blood there, shed for you. And fear? Well, guess what? That's gone too. Because that Jesus rose from the dead on that Easter Sunday. And his life is the death of anything that would make us afraid. You don't have to fear 
punishment, death, hell, nothing. Where are you? You know where God wants you to be? The foot of that cross. And at that empty tomb. And there, knowing that all of your sins are forgiven. You are loved. You are his. All guilt and shame and fear, gone. All excuses, you can give those up to. And all that complacency towards a sin in your life, I mean, you've got to take them seriously now, right? Look what it took. <laughs> Look at the death and the punishment that Jesus went through for it and say, in the peace and the forgiveness and the strength of Jesus to leave those behind, nailed there, and to go to live for him and for his glory. I ask you again this morning, one more time, where are you? You're right where God wants you to be. Gathered around his word. Listening, just like Adam and Eve did. Just listening into the conversation. Here in his word. Here in his house. Here at this table, because it's here that you have peace. It's here that you find forgiveness. It's here in this word that, that God teaches you that repentance, confession of your sins, it's a lifestyle. It's not something you do here and there. But daily, as you sin daily, you get to confess those sins daily and you get to receive that full and free forgiveness daily. Life in God's kingdom is one of daily repentance, knowing who I am and what I deserve from a holy God, but yet in his mercy he has rescued me, he has freed me, he has forgiven me, I am his. God wants you to live in that joy and in that peace right now. And every day of your life on this earth. To live in daily repentance. Knowing that you don't have to go out and make up for all the bad that you did. Right? Your life is not one of penance. Making up for all of your sins. No. They're paid for. In full. It's finished. Instead, you get to go and live in this world and in his kingdom free. Forgiven. His. Friends, live your life in daily repentance. That's where he wants you to be. That's where you find peace. That's where you find joy. There alone do you find Jesus' victory for you. Satan's head is crushed. You're no longer under his control. You are with God. You are his Please stand.